Our first scripture lesson for today comes from Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 of the New Revised Standard Version. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others for impassing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same thing. You say, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? By your hand and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. May the God bless your reading, our reading and hearing of the scripture. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson is in Matthew's gospel once again starting with chapter five and continuing in chapter seven. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them saying, do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. May God bless our reading and hearing of the scriptures. So both of our texts this morning speak to us about judgment. And both texts remind us that judgment is not about you and me. We don't get to do the judgment. Only God gets to do the judgment. So why am I here? (laughs) If it's that simple. Or if it were that simple, then we wouldn't need to hear what Jesus has to say about judgment. Because we're human, we judge. To be fair, we judge every day. You've already judged today. To get here, you made a judgment in your vehicle, didn't you? When you got in your vehicle, you had to judge the distance between you and the vehicle in front of you to make sure it was an appropriate distance, right? When you came to a stop and you needed to either turn left or right, You needed to make a judgment about how far the car away, if you had enough room to either turn left or right. And earlier this morning when I came, I needed to make sure because I couldn't hardly see because of the fog. It was quite ugly as a matter of fact. So judgment was extremely important. When we bathe, we need to make sure and we judge how hot or cold our water is, right? 
I don't want to take a cold bath. And I don't want to be scalded either. So we have to make a judgment. And for those of you who actually cook, not me, but maybe some of you do, you need to make a judgment about whether or not it's ready to come out of the oven or the microwave or the stove. If you use such a thing, you need to make sure that the food is ready to eat. So we make a judgment. Those are judgment about things, the things that make us safe. We make those kinds of judgments. The things that get us in trouble are the judgments that we make about people. And that gets us into trouble. And that's where we meet Jesus, and that's where we meet Paul this morning. Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees because the Pharisees are judging him. And so he comes back to them and says, before you start doing that, why don't you take the log out of your own eye? Why don't you start looking at your own faults before you start looking at mine? And then we can talk. Now, when we look at the word judgment or judge in this particular text, we're talking about condemnation, to condemn. So we're not talking about getting rid of criticism altogether. So young people and children, this does not mean that your parents cannot discipline you. <laughs> it just means that when it comes down to judgment and condemnation, that is not our realm. And it's not good to condemn anyone. It's not our job. It only belongs to God. There is a thing called constructive criticism when you and I speak the truth in love to one another and we have an open kind of conversation where at the end of that conversation, we leave the room feeling good about what we have discussed. But that requires an open mind from the one who is the receiver of the information, which means that we need to be able to be self-reflective and be able to understand that there are areas for growth. But sometimes you and I are arrogant and sometimes we think that we are the most important person in the room and that we are smarter than everybody else and that we can look at everybody else and say, uh-huh, that is your fault. This is where you need growth. And I know that because I'm smarter than you. I don't have any faults. I don't have any faults. All the faults belong to you and you alone. So I can tell you where you need to grow and I can tell you where you need to change. Well, that's a lie because we're human and we all have areas where we need to grow. When we interview candidates for ministry, we call those growing edges, those places where we need to learn to grow. Those places where we need to learn, those places where we need to grow, those places where hmm, we need to enter into uh, conversation with others to figure out how might we be a better person 
or learn more information or grow in our understanding of the world. But that takes introspection and the ability to go internally and the ability to understand that we're not the most important person in the room. And the Pharisees had that problem. When I was in college, I dabbled in a couple of majors until I landed in sociology, my first love. Neil came along, but my first love was sociology. And I finally found it, and I excelled, and I did well. It's not helpful in terms of life's decision-making process, in terms of a job, but um, I, you know, my dad said, what are you going to do, stand on the corner and socialize? Um, wasn't very happy with me, but um, I um, did it. And um, when I met Neil, he was a year behind me, so um, he married an older woman. And um, I, um, so I decided, well, what the heck? Let's get a master's degree in sociology. So that's what I did. When we graduated, um, he got his degree in radio television, and I got my master's degree in sociology, so I had two very useful degrees, and I found a job. Um, and I went to work for SCAN, which is suspected child abuse and neglect. So that meant that um, when someone called in, um, when they had a suspicion of child abuse happening, uh, when, they called, um, the aid, when they called the state for that, the call came in to us, and we would go and investigate the situation. So I got hired for the job. I got sent to Northwest Arkansas with all the other people that were hired in that time period. Um, to get trained, and I was rigorously trained. I had already um, been trained, sort of, and I was very excited that I actually got a job in my field. So um, I got trained, and I know the signs. I mean, I know it. I understand it. Um, but the whole time I was there, I had this feeling in my stomach that maybe this wasn't it, but I kept going. I kept going, and I kept learning. Um, and I hung in there, and I, got, and I got back, and I got my job, and Neil and I had a nice little house there going, and life was, well, life was good. And I continued my training with the person that was going with me from house to house. We would get the phone calls. I would go to the house, usually with a sheriff or a police officer, because most of the time um, there was a person there, a parent there, who didn't take kindly um, to people from SCAN coming and checking them out um, to see about a child who was being uh, talked to about the suspicion of child abuse. So more than once I had a shotgun being pointed at me. Um, so a sheriff was very helpful out in the county or a police officer in the city of Jonesboro proper. After about a month or so, um, it was time for me to go out on my own, by myself. So, uh, on that day, I walk into the office and the boss says to me, have a seat. You know what that means. She looks at me and she says, Bridget, you are a square peg trying to fit 
into a round hole. And I said, oh, you know what? That makes sense. And she said, you've been crying every day, haven't you? And I said, yeah, how could you tell? And she says, well, your eyes are red, for one. I said, yeah. She says, this is not your calling, is it? I said, no, it's not. She said, you're not a bad person. I said, oh, thanks. She said, but this is not what you are meant to do, and you're not good at it. So we're going to find you a different job, and I'm going to find a different person for this job so we can get this job done. But you're not a bad person, and if someone calls here as a reference, I'm going to tell them what you are good at, and I will give you a good recommendation for doing something else, but not this particular job. You are a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And the relief that swept over my body was something that I just can't explain. Speaking the truth in love is a wonderful thing if the recipient is willing to hear what is being said. So I went home, crying, of course. I, you know, I cried everything. I cried television shows, but I bawled for quite some time, but in relief, because I knew that I had some work to do, I had some introspection to do, to try to figure out what to do next, yes. But then it set me on a trajectory of what now I am standing in front of you now doing. And she was a part of that process. Yes, I got fired. Yes, I wasn't good at that job. But was I judged? Was I condemned? Not in the least. Was I constructively criticized? Yes. She loved me and she cared for me. And sure enough, she did help me in my next thing, which I got fired from too, but that's a different story. <laughs> Judgment is something that you and I are pretty good at when we look at other people. I'm not sure why, or maybe I am. Maybe when we judge other people, it just makes us feel better about ourselves. Because when I look at you and I say to you, you know what, you need to do something with your hair. Maybe, I think maybe my hair needs something done with. And if I just tell you that you need to do something with your hair, it makes me feel better about my hair. And Jesus says, look, before you start talking to other people about their hair, maybe you need to figure out your own hair on a very low level, I'm speaking. <laughs> the second thing I want us to think about, or maybe it's a third thing, is this issue around prejudice. 
And I want to read a definition to you. Prejudice. It's the third definition on my phone here on, on the dictionary. If you don't have a dictionary on your phone, if you have a smartphone, get it. I love dictionaries. I like theological dictionaries better, but this is a good one here. Unreasonable feelings, opinions, or attitudes, especially of a hostile nature regarding an ethnic, racial, social, or religious group. You and I, as human beings, we tend to get in our brains, in our heads, some odd notions about groups of people. Now, prejudices and discrimination is based upon some facts. And we do do that. And we see some groups of people and we place then our thoughts and attitudes because what we see in one group of people, in one ethnic group of people, and we say, all of those kinds of people are like that. So, following the 9-11 attacks, and I know this is controversial, and you're probably gonna hate me by saying this, but go ahead and hate me. After the 9-11 attacks, all Muslim people are what? Terrorists. We, in one of our churches, we had um, a, a young couple who drove by our church one day, and they had, because uh, we, we, and we had a rocket. We had a lady in our church who could just make anything, and she made this great rocket for Vacation Bible School. And uh, Cody was sitting in the back seat, and he goes, I want to go to that church. They had never been to church, but he said, I want to go to that church, and I want to learn about Jesus. And, he, and dad's driving in the car and he goes, Jesus? He hadn't really talked about Jesus before. And Cody says, but I heard about Jesus and I want to learn about Jesus. From the back seat, children, aren't they great? Honestly. So dad says, all right, we'll start going to church. So they went to vacation Bible school, had the greatest experience because we really did do a good VBS. They started coming to church. Family got baptized. They started going to church and we started to get to know them and I learned this story. One day, family went to the community swimming pool. Um, they're, getting, um, they're getting ready to get into the pool and uh, dad takes off his shirt. Dad is tattooed from shoulder down even on his legs, um, it's the greatest thing ever. He's got some really very interesting things on him. And um, he, he and I had some very interesting conversations. And after he was baptized, um, he got a big old cross put on his leg. Um, he, um, <laughs> he took off his shirt and he was looking down and he said, I could feel every single eye on me. I said, really? Yes, every single eye he could just feel looking at me. And he looked up, sure enough, every single person was looking at him and then looking down at the two boys. 
And then there was one person who had their phone up, ready to make a phone call to the group that I worked for, you know, that I got fired from 30 years before. And then Cody, who had just escaped from his father a few minutes ago, had had uh, called his dad and said, hey, dad. And dad looked up and then the phone just dropped. And then everybody noticed themselves what they were doing. And I think they put all their eyes down and they were all embarrassed about what they were doing. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? That this tattooed young man had somehow absconded with these two boys, or maybe they believed that this tattooed man was not fit to be a parent. I don't know what was going through all of these people's mind, but whatever it is, it was not a correct assumption about who this young man was, but they had it because he was tattooed from shoulder down. We get these assumptions in our brain about who people are before we have a conversation with them because they belong to a group or a family or whatever it is, and it's prejudice, and we judge them. Whatever group it is. And Jesus says, you know, you're part of a group. Someone judges you. You figure that out, and then you can go out and deal with the group that you're judging. But the judging is not for you. That condemnation thing is not for you. That is for God. What's for us? Our job is conversation. Our job is sharing love. Our job is kindness and compassion. Our job is going out into the community and spreading the gospel message to, who, to, to whomever come, we come into contact with. That's the gospel message. Paul says, do you not know who God is? Do you not know that God is a God of kindness and compassion and love that leads us all to repentance and forgiveness. Do you not know that? Do you not know that God loves us all? And what I want you to hear today is that God loves you more than you can ever know or imagine. Did you know that? Did you know that? That God loves you, 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 whoever you are, whatever group you belong to, whatever judgment you have done today, because I've done some, believe me, I've done some. Whatever you have done, whatever group you are a part of, God loves you because God created you in God's own image. (laughs) Think about that for a moment. God loves you. God loves you immensely. 
And God's going to continue to love you because that's who God is. And that kind of kindness and compassion will be with you for the rest of your life. It will give you the courage and the strength that you need to go out into the community and tell someone else. Because God loves whoever's out there as well. Because in reality, there is no us in them. There's only we. This week, I encourage you to find someone. Find someone. Maybe even someone you haven't met yet, even in Norfolk, Kansas. And tell them that God loves them. Maybe they have not ever, ever heard that before. Tell them that God loves them so much. And then say, and we'll love you even more at Norfolk First United Methodist Church. And when you come here, you will find kindness and compassion and acceptance because we are a people of kindness and compassion and acceptance. God's love is present in this place. God is present in this place because God is present in you. Because God loves us all. Is that good news? Or am I just saying something? The good news is that God is present and God's love is everywhere. And God's love is in your heart and in your life. Go share it with someone else. Amen.